Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much, not keeping us in our lost state, seeking us, sending your only son, who lived the life we couldn't live and became sin for us. His life was not taken from him, he said, but he laid it down willingly. raised him from the dead and he is seated at the right hand of you making intercession for us being an advocate for us sitting down because his work had been finished and now the good news reverberates through all of earth that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and we don't have to die in our sins we don't have to stay lost We don't have to stay bruised and beaten by the world in our own mistakes, our own sin. We don't have to continue going our own way. God, through believing in Jesus, we can be saved and forgiven. Given the promise of an inheritance, the riches of your son for all of eternity given to all men and women everywhere, child, young, old, whether in prison or free, all can be forgiven and given this promise of eternal life because of what Jesus did, no one else. All false gods crumble before you. Every religion that has come and passed that we don't even know of have trembled and have crumbled and fell at your name. And God, thank you that you still show yourself true amidst a dark world that is arrogant that thinks that they know the way. God, they need you. Pierce through their heart like you have us and show them the truth. And God, as we're gonna see this morning for any brother or sister, someone listening or here that is drifting, that is wandering, that does not, that does not remember and is being beaten down by the enemy in the world and is going away from Jesus, that they would turn their eyes to you and find that there are only joy and peace and truth found in Jesus and they would come back. And Father, use your church. Awaken our hearts. Bring revival. Do what you have to. Use us, Father. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Summit kids, you are dismissed. It's been so great to see you this morning. Hey, give them a hand as they leave and thank their teachers. And also, if you're in our water baptism class, you can stand up and you can meet Glenn over there to your left. And we would love for you to be a part of that class this morning, too. Sorry to interrupt, Jasper. No, you're good, brother. (laughs) I love seeing our kids. love seeing our kids go. Church, continue to pray. Our desire to see kids' ministry 
on a weekly basis to see it more consistent, pouring into our kids, and God's doing it. Be patient with us and continue to pray and even ask the Lord how you could help make this ministry that is foundational to pouring into the kids what little bit of time that we have where the world is seemingly really good at pouring into them all the time. That God would use us to pour into this young generation. All right, guys, we're in the book of James and we're finishing it up today. James chapter five, we're gonna look at the last two verses And as we do, let's recap. Let's look at where we have been and where we are. See, we're going to go today. Last week, we asked this question, and the question was, at the top of the service, what is James making of utmost importance in the book of James, and especially here at the end, in the context we found it? And here's what we looked at. He was was making of utmost importance the fact that he wants believers to remain steadfast through every circumstance of life, that no matter what life throws at us, that we would maintain our faith, we would maintain our our trust and our hope and our dependence on God through Jesus, and we would not let any experience, any experience pull us away from that, because the most disastrous outcome for anyone is to leave Jesus, is to be pulled away. And what were these people facing that he was writing to, this dispersed church Christians who were suffering, who were being persecuted, who were experiencing extreme poverty, who had lost loved ones, and who were being chased, literally, and many of them being oppressed by the rich and those who had power being taken advantage of. And so James knows this, and he wants them to endure through it, not promising them that their situation would change. Actually telling them what you need to do is you need to look at your circumstance, count it all joy that you are suffering for the Lord, and count it all joy because God is testing your faith and he's giving you here and now an assurance that you are his and that your faith is real because it's being maintained through everything. But at the end, James is concluding and he's leaving his letter to his believers and he's making a lot about the point of prayer. How, we said, how do we make sure we remain steadfast to the end? Our life has to be saturated in prayer, right? Any among you suffering, let them pray. Any among you cheerful, praise, right? Lift your voice and praise God. Any among you sick, spiritually weak, weary, feel like you're giving up, you need to be prayed over, call for the elders, and I'm so encouraged. So many people have called and asked for prayer, and God is allowing us, the leaders, to be able to pray over people, which is what we're here for, to be able to minister to you that way, to minister to you with the word of God, encourage your hearts, and to pray and intercede for you. To pray because we need to not get to the place where these people are in verses 19 and 20. Let me read the verse. I want to to give you the context. Remember, so far he's been asking this question, is any among you, and then blank. So any among you suffering, any among you cheerful, any among you sick. Now look what he says here in verse 19. James 5 verse 19, he says, my brothers, if anyone among you. You see the same language? He's still calling out people who are in different scenarios, but look at the scenario of this person among them. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. How do we remain steadfast to the end? We must pray, we learned last week. 
But what about those who have gone astray, as we just read? Those who have wandered, and we're going to look at that word a little bit closer, to go astray. What must we do? Well, I'm going to give you a word, a word for the church. We must rescue them. We must rescue them, at least with the best of our ability to be making an effort to rescue. So how can we be a church that rescues? That's what we're going to look at today. How can we be a church that rescues? And right off the top of the uh, page, I want us to see this. We need to all, not just some, not just the pastors, we need to all be on the lookout for wanderers. Be on the lookout for wanderers. You know, I was, as I was thinking about rescue, I found myself studying and reading about different stories of people actually being lost, people being rescued, tragic ones of people being lost and never found. All of these great rescue efforts of people who actually get lost in the wilderness. You guys know the, the story of the little boy back in the 60s who, who got lost in the Tennessee National Park. What was uh, his name? Martin Lord John, Jones, the little boy that was never found. Tragic story. They had over 1,400 people, 1,400 people looking for this kid, covering every square inch of mile of what they could do, every effort they could to reach out and try to find this little boy. And to this day, still a great mystery. We can understand the tragedy of someone being lost and not found. I also heard a story, a story that reminded me of the movie Castaway back in 2012. I don't know how I didn't know about this. I don't even know. This guy in Mexico had got lost in the ocean and him and his partner, who was the partner more or less experienced on the sea, were lost out there for over 430 days. That's over a year on a boat totally isolated. And if you listen to the story about how they wandered and got lost, you see the story of their boat drifting, right? We have this plan. We're going to go out for 30 hours, day and a half. We're going to do this and this, only bring enough uh, uh, resources for just that amount of a lot of time. And next thing you know, an unexpected circumstance of life hits and they're totally unprepared for it. And it pulls them. It literally sucks them regardless of all of their efforts, pulls them out into the isolation of the blackness of the sea stuck out there for over a year. Could you imagine that? How they had to survive. Wasn't like they had, so they had to live off the things that they could catch. The one partner died and passed away as a result of eating something. And the one man was left. And the story goes that he was drifting, drifting, drifting on this boat, on this boat, got to the point where he was all by himself and he had created this fantasy world that he'd wake up and he'd pace the boat and he had so given himself over to this fantasy world of like being, traveling the world and eating different foods and hanging out with the people he loved that he was constantly seeing hallucinations. And he got to the point where he was unable to discern even different animals that were in the sea. And he was constantly seeing boats and he was constantly seeing land until one day he looked out and his eyes cleared and he saw land. But he said he just stood there and just stared at it because he'd been seeing things constantly that he knew it was probably a mirage. He stared, he stared. Oh, he stared. Oh, it's still there. 
He stared. Oh, that's land. For the first time in over a year, there's land there, and I'm heading towards it. And what he did, he cut off the drag, the homemade drag that he made, so he could get to it even closer. And within an hour, he had made it up toward the shoreline before he could even get to the shore. He dove into the water and swam with all of his might, pulled himself on the, the seashore, and just laid there. And he got up and he started dancing because of how good it felt to finally be in the safety of land. And not long, a couple had come up and found him. And he's sitting there dancing. He had a knife in his hand, dancing back and forth, they said. You imagine what that is. And they still let him into his home. They got him, let him in his home, called the authorities, found out this is the person that they had been looking for who had been lost for 438 days. And you know how far he drifted, how far he wandered? It was like 6,700 miles. He didn't even know where he was. He was on some little remote island way like on the other side of the world. And he didn't even care because that state of misery and destruction and isolation and being lost. It was so much better to be among people. You know, we hear stories like that and we're like, yep, I get it. Makes sense. That story makes sense in my heart and I understand exactly what's tragic. I understand exactly what needs. I understand the body and what the body needs and I understand like, man, I would not want to be in that situation. And so we come to the scriptures and what do we see constantly from the Old Testament to the New? We see God pursuing his people And in the pursuit of God, you see the world fall in on people in their circumstances. And and despite the rescue efforts of even God himself and the church, still people tragically choose to leave and wander into the blackness of wilderness and to stay lost. Far more tragic, far more tragic than anything that could happen to us temporarily here on planet Earth getting lost. God gives our soul a state of lostness. Every single person on the planet born lost and wandering. And when people hear about Jesus, they're made a new creation. They're rejuvenated. They're made alive and their soul comes alive and they join the church. And things are great. Things are awesome. But then you start to see as life goes on, as the boats start sloshing back and forth and as the storms of life come in, you start to see people on the fringes and on the edges just start to pull away and it's so tragic. What must the church do in these situations? First and foremost, we got to be on the lookout for wanderers. Got to be on the lookout. It was said in the story of these, this man and his partner getting lost at sea that they had actually sounded SOS signals and people heard, people knew it and could hear it. And even with the distress signals, they still were unable to find them and rescue them. A very urgent passage we're going to get into, one that I think, especially in our climate and in the providence of God, of why we are talking about this today. So I want to know, where are you? Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here. As we go through this and we talk about those who wander, would you say, I'm wandering and I need rescue? Let's look at it. He says here, my brothers, again, who's he talking to? Believers. If anyone among you, who would that be? That would be people who were also so-called believers. Wanders from the truth. Let's look at this word wander. I'll give you the definition. Simplest definition I could give is this idea of being led astray, going astray. Then I want to ask this question, because this is the question I ask myself, and I think we need, is, is well, how do you know if someone's wandering? How do you know someone's 
wandering from the truth. I mean, if we're going to have to be on the lookout, if we're going to be here and we're like, I want to make sure that myself as well as my brothers and sisters who I'll lay my life down for start wandering, I want to be able to identify it and see it. I want to read you a passage of scripture in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. You do not have to turn there, but I'm going to. And I want you to just listen to the words of John as he's thinking about this. He's observing it. Here's what he says. He says, children, it is the last hour. John wrote this 2,000 years ago, so how much more case is it the last hour, the last days, the end of time, the end days? Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And then he says this. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, remains, then you too will abide, remain, in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. And then John says this, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, remains in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as the anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught in you, abide in him, remain in him. You hear John like being like overly sure to talk about this word abide and remain. And you come to the context of James and James is also talking about people he wants to remain, abide in Jesus. But he says there are those who are wandering and what are they wandering from? That's how you identify who a wanderer is, is what they begin to wander from. Two things John pointed out, they begin to wander from brothers and sisters. They begin to wander from the church. But secondly, it is, they begin to wander from the truth of who Jesus is. John says, whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, he says, this is the spirit of Antichrist. And so when we're looking out in the church and we begin to see things in life happen, you know, uh, wars and rumors of war, coronavirus, uh, instability in the government, uh, Weather like crazy, all of this should be expected by the church of God. But the church of God still fills the effects of it. And those within the church begin to wonder, pay attention, brothers and sisters. Do you see anyone among us who is beginning to, on the trajectory of wandering from the truth, meaning that they're wandering, if they continue going where they are, you would believe, man, they're just going to give up on Jesus altogether. Like they believed at one point and now they don't. So, which brings me to the next thing that I want us to talk about to give even more clarity is I want to talk about some reasons scripture gives when someone would go away from the truth and begin to wander. 
So let's look at a few things. I, you're going to see a lot of things come up on screen, but we're not necessarily going to take the whole time, but I want us to just really get through them real quick. So we think about it in our own life. So engage yourself. Engage, engage brothers and sisters around you and, and circumstances you see in life. And let's listen to the words of Jesus as he gives us a clue into why people might wander from the truth. In Matthew 13, Jesus gives the parable of the soil and the seed. And he talks about how there's a, a, a sower who goes out and he throws seed on ground. And you have four different types of soil that he throws seed on. You have a soil that's on rocky ground. You have soil that's on the road, a seed that's on the road. And then you have seed that gets uh, thrown onto uh, thorny ground. And then you have seed that gets thrown onto like good, rich, dark soil. There's only one among four soils, only one that reveals its identity to be those of the truth. And it's those whose roots go deep. And through all the circumstances of life, fruit is bore. And that plant grows and it remains and fruit is produced. Jesus is saying, this is, this is good soil. In other words, these are my children. You have two other soils though. And a third one that's the most different. The one that falls on the, the road, Jesus said, he comes and he gives the explanation of what the parable meant. The one that falls on the road, these birds come and they pick the seed out. He's like, what is Jesus talking about? Well, this, this would be someone who, who, who the word of God, the message of the gospel is thrown out. It goes in through their ears. They, they, they don't even have time to think about it because the birds, Satan, the devil, the enemy comes and snatches the word away before it can even make an impact, right? So someone in planet earth who would hear the word of God and then just totally reject it without giving it a thought, that's a sign of soil along the path where the birds are snatching it away. And we, man, we need God to intervene and ask God to change them, give them ears to hear, right? There's very little we can do about that. Two other ones are very interesting because the two other soils, one on rocky ground, the seed goes out. And guess what? The seed begins to produce. The plant begins to grow. Jesus says there's actually joy in that person having heard what they've heard, initially believing the gospel and receives it with joy, it says. But then Jesus says, for this plant, though, the sun comes and it scorches and it withers the plant, and the plant withers and dies. And he says, this is seed that's been thrown on the rocky ground, and, and, and it says the trials and the persecutions of life, the hardship of life, causes that person to fall away, to wander, to leave Jesus. This is too hard I'm done with this Jesus thing. Life's too much. Then they go. That happens over time, right? Because drifting is something that happens over time. So it may not be an instant thing, but it begins happening. And then you have this. I want to read this. This is actually from that uh, place of the parable. He says this. As for what was sown among thorns, this would be the other type. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. The church of God is full of people who are supposedly good soil. You may be part of a church, 
you may have professed Christ, but Jesus gives this warning about all those who hear and believe. And the test of life will come along. You are going to experience the sun. The hardships of life will scorch on your skin. You will start to experience the sunburn. Guess what? The cares of the world are going to constantly surround you. The temptation to live for money and riches are going to always be there, but the good soil is the one that in the testing of those things proves that it is God's because it constantly remains in the truth and it bears fruit through all of these circumstances. So here's the, here's the proclamation of why people wonder. Jesus gives these general things to help us understand it. Why would someone wander who would initially love Jesus, lift their hands, and then wander? Jesus is giving a clue. It has something to do with what's going on in their heart and their circumstances, pulling them away. I want to talk about a few more things, right? So these, let's get a little bit more detailed. Jesus talks about in Luke 9, verse 23 through 26, some people may wander from the truth, give up on Jesus because of the cost of discipleship. Following Jesus means I have to love him more than anyone else, more than my family, more than my friends. And Jesus said, whoever does not love me more than anyone else in their life, and he even uses the word, whoever does not hate mother and brother and follow me, love me. He's not actually recommending that you hate your family. He's trying to make an extreme emphatic understanding that if you are going to follow me, you must love me more than anyone else. You must. And how many people leave Jesus and they do not stay faithful to him because of what it will mean for them with their family if they make the decision to follow Christ. We live in a culture where that's not too that, 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 that's not something that is normal to experience, but you go to the Middle East, many other places, you go to India, places where people, they know if they begin to follow Jesus, their family is done, right? And they immediately pass the test as the cost of discipleship shows up on their life. Also, the book of John, before he talks about those antichrists who are in among us, he talks about those who love the world. Love of the world would be something that would cause someone to wonder over time as just my love for, for what the world is, how the world thinks, what's in the world, their attitude, what they respond to, and, and where I get my cues from, and being a part, and matching, and being in with the world, and always like getting like everything that I want comes from like being in the world, like being with the world, understanding them, being understood by them, being loved by them. Jesus said, John says, whoever loves of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Many fall away because of the, over time, the love of the world causing the believer who professed to believe to give up on the master who they claim to follow. Why? Because you can't serve two masters. Second Peter 2 is an interesting one. I would hope that you guys would, that my, my encouragement is go back and study these, read these. I want you to get the understanding. Second Peter 2 talks about false teachers. This is another one. People wonder because you have people in the world who are teaching you, not just from the scripture, but teaching you anything about who you are and what life is and the purpose of life and who you should be and what you should be following and what you should devote your soul to and your life to. All of that is false teaching if it does not line up with the truth that God is coming. Right, again, we're talking about those wandering from the truth. Second Peter 2 is interesting because he gives a detail 
of who these false teachers are, what their end is going to be, the destruction that's coming upon them, but what, what their inner motivations are and how they trick us and exploit us into following them. Many of you may know what it's like to have someone get up and like, man, everything they're saying is a Bible verse. And they're saying it with like great strong conviction and they're very convincing. But then they lead you down a path that causes you to live life in a way that Jesus is not telling you to live life. Or devote yourselves to things like health and prosperity. If you come to Jesus for money or for health, Jesus is not your God. Money and health are. You come to Jesus for Jesus regardless of what you lose or what you gain. That's the truth. But there's this slick, false teaching that's all over the world. And 2 Peter 2 says this, they exploit you through the sensualities of the flesh. What does that mean? That means they get up and they give you a gospel that your flesh is longing to hear. Like, please tell me that the gospel of Christ will get me money and make me better physically and make my life here on earth the best. Please, my flesh is dying to hear that. So the sensual message of the gospel comes out and you are ignited with it and people follow it by the millions right? Because the passions of our flesh are served, but we're told that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Above all things, who can understand it? Your heart will lead you astray because what we're told also in the scripture that many in the last days, which we're in, will have itching ears, heaping for themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And man, don't we live in such a culture where it's like, you better say the right thing. I don't care about intents of the heart. I don't care about how gentle you say it. But if you don't say the right thing that our ears need to hear, we will gnash our teeth. We'll become triggered. We'll do whatever we got to do. And we'll come at you like those who came at Stephen and martyred him and stoned him to death. And we see that brewing in our own country, right? Because this is the mark of the world. This is what's going to happen over time. We're all tempted to have itching ears and have people tell us what we want to hear. God shows up and tells us what the truth is and the truth that will save us even if it offends us, but it will save us and rescue us, right? That's the irony of it. Someone lost in the wilderness or out at sea and they're dying and the lifeboat gets thrown at to them and they don't take it because it hits them in the head and it causes a little scuff and now they're mad and so they don't hold on to it and get saved and they sit out in the wilderness and they sulk right? Because the life raft hit me in the head. I'm sorry. Not sorry. Jesus saved my life, and I want others to know that they can be saved through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I don't feel bad about it and shouldn't, and neither should you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for those who believe. Reasons we wander Hebrews 5, look at this one, a lack of spiritual growth. If you read through the book of Hebrews, it's interesting because the whole book of Hebrews starts out talking about the Old Testament people wandering in the wilderness. And whoever wrote Hebrews is like, man, I'm afraid. I'm afraid if something doesn't change, you're going to be just like those who perished in the wilderness, just like those who gave up on God, who, who they saw, who they saw deliver them from slavery, who they saw part the Red Sea, who led them out in the wilderness, and now God is purposely testing them in the wilderness. Purpose.
purposefully. I am putting you out here and I'm allowing you to go through circumstances that are going to, man, they're going to, they're going to just drive in and just do everything. Just, man, it's, everything's going to come upon you. I'm allowing it to happen. And what happened in the wilderness? They wandered for 40 years when all they needed to do was walk faithfully for two weeks. But they wandered for 40 years because they kept putting God to the test. They kept grumbling and complaining about their circumstances. And they kept wishing that they could go back to Egypt in slavery. Oh, what a beautiful picture that God gave us thousands of years ago to help us understand what's going on spiritually in our soul if we're not careful. I delivered you. I saved you. I put your rock, your feet on the rock, pulled you out of the miry clay. And as the cares of the world and the storms of life and the fire of life presses upon you, I'm giving you time to test to see the genuineness of your faith. What are you going to do? You're going to give up? You're going to wish you could go back? Back to that place where what? You were isolated, alone, feeling no joy, wondering what life is all about, going to bed at night, constantly feeling unfulfilled, constantly feeling a weight of guilt and shame, constantly wondering what is, what is the purpose of this life? You want to go back to that? Yeah, we do. Because at least there was momentary pleasure in it. The people of Egypt, people of God's people wanted to go back to Egypt because they missed the spicy foods of Egypt. You see it happen in Jesus' day where he finally comes and people follow him and they lift him up and they want to make him king. But the moment he starts talking about hard things, the thousands leave him. Leave him. Right, because he says, you follow me just because I fed your belly for a moment. But what message is God making to us on planet Earth that would stomp out the false teachers who are trying to promise you that your momentary life can be filled with the pleasures and heart, the things your heart want constantly? God is trying to say life is hard and it's going to be hard until you die and your bodies are going to experience very painful things and those things are not going away until you die. But I promise you a hope where I will restore everything and you're going to be with me forever and this life's just going to be a vapor and all of that's coming but you need to trust me and my children are here on planet earth amidst the hard things to be able to be salt and light for the world and to rescue those who are perishing and be a part of this mission that came to you at the right moment in life and saved your soul. I want to use you. But beware, beware of the circumstances around you. Pay attention to the thorns that are climbing up your leg. Pay attention to the sun on your back that's scorching you. What is it causing you to want to do? Give up on Jesus? That shouldn't be an option for us. These are just a few reasons people wonder. I tell you, it's hard as a pastor right now to see what's happened in the last year and to see people just wander, leave. Many great reasons, according to the flesh, great, great reasons that pragmatically make sense. But at the end of the day, all I can see is the hand of the enemy pressing in on people and people losing and failing the test. Don't let that be you, brother or sister. This message is all about the church being the ones that will help rescue you. And like you heard this morning, even stories of those who are willing to come along and say hard things to people that would like, like awaken their soul and bring them back to the narrow road. Because the wide road leads to destruction. If we are going to be a church that rescues, we all, not, not just a few, but all need to be on the lookout for those who are wandering. Secondly, this, if we want to be a church that rescues, like we've been rescued, it'll happen when we all 
are ready to intervene when we see someone wandering, right? So you're on the lookout. You can identify it. But in your heart, is there an initiative? Like, I'm ready. If it, so be, if it, if it needs to be me, it will be me. Or if is it like, hey, I, just, I, hear, I can see from the shore that boat's being like pulled off into the storm. That's, that's, that's pretty bad. Able to identify it, but well, you know, it's time to go eat. When we all are ready to intervene. Look what he says here. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. He doesn't say who it is. He's saying anyone, someone, someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering. So there's this scenario among us that James is saying is a good thing and a hopeful thing and a wonderful thing that he is just going to like say is awesome. It's this idea of bringing a sinner back from their wandering. And it could be any single one of us. Doesn't say it needs to be a qualified pastor who's up on the stage. Doesn't say it needs to be a professional. If anyone brings a sinner back from his wandering. I mean, think about, think about how wonderful we count these circumstances of people who risk their lives to save people in dire situations. And our hearts well up. Like, like God made us for this narrative. God made us for this story. God made us to be able to see things like that and say, yeah, that's good. And God's saying, yeah, and it can be you. I can use you. I want to use you. You could be a part of that rescuing party. You know, one of the things we talked about this week was like, but how do you rescue? How do you intervene? That's a good question. And it's pretty subjective. Sometimes it just needs to be a matter of prayer, first and foremost. And then it needs to be a prayer where you're asking God to use you And you're actively seeking to be obedient for God, giving you opportunities to be able to help someone and say, man, I see you going away from Jesus. I hear hear what you're saying, but I can see you've you've gone and I'm here to help you, right? Even if you're going to the person's house, call them up on the phone, send them a little text, send them an email, some type of active response where you're trying to let people know, hey, come back, come back. The path you're on, the trajectory you're on is going away from Jesus, We're told in the book of Galatians, told in the book of Galatians to actually help restore people, but we're told to do it in a spirit of gentleness. We're told in the book of Jude to snatch people out of the fire, hating the very garments stained by the flesh. We're actually told as well to help people, bring them back, but to watch yourself lest you too be tempted. There's something about helping people that I've wondered, why would he say, lest you too be tempted, until I started trying to help people in ministry? Man, I'll tell you what. It's like this thought comes to my head as I experience trying to only help and give them my time, energy, and effort to try to, like, hey, like, look, this is, this is what it is. This is what you need. Not this. This is what you need. In my heart, I'm like, all I'm trying to do is help, and I start getting this thought that, wow, it seems like the more I help, the more pain I get. The more I help the matter someone gets at me. The more I, I put myself out there, the more wounded I get. What type of temptations are coming over me in that moment? What type of temptations would come over you in that moment? I'll tell you, well, arrogance, pride, grumbling, complaining. Next thing you know, I'm in the same situation they are and I'm wondering, right? The church has this very serious, urgent duty. And we all need to be ready to intervene But if we're looking for a cozy list of how to intervene, we just need to be ready 
we need to know the truth because what you're bringing people to is you're bringing them back to the truth because they're wandering from it. A lot of the intervention will just look like conversation, but all of it needs to be a matter of urgent prayer on behalf of a person because even Jesus, when he talked to people, intervened. Like the rich young ruler, he gave them truth and the rich young ruler went away sad. Jesus didn't chase after them. Plenty of people walked away from Jesus even as he was teaching truth. It is not our responsibility to make someone come back, but it is on us to care that someone's wandering and make some type of effort to restore people. And guess what? Those who are good soil, they'll, they'll, they'll wander, they'll fall back, but they will always respond to the truth of God. For the whole rest of their life, they'll always be coming back. And that's how you know that's a true brother and sister. They haven't gone off and stayed off for good. They've come back, they've come back, they've come back. Right? And the joy, the joy it is to have people in your life who will do that for you. Finally, this, we become a rescuing church when we all understand the gravity of the situation. Look what he says here. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The first thought you have is like, wow, I don't have any power to save persons. Only God does, and you would be right. So what is James saying here when he says, let Anyone know, whoever brings a brother back from his wandering will save a soul from death. Well, you play a part in the salvation of God. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God wants to use people. We are his agents and his instruments in the salvation process, and we get credit for helping with it. It's like I saw someone talking about illustration that if someone were dying in the wilderness and you like drove them in the car to the hospital... The, the doctors are the one that like actually kept their body alive and saved them and restored them to help. But that person is going to come back to you and say, thank you for saving me, right? Because you played a part in the ultimate salvation of that person. Doesn't that get you excited? Like, whoa. That's the, because the urgency of the situation as it pierces our heart will well up within us this motivation that, that's missing and that we need to be on the lookout and to be ready to intervene and be a part of this rescuing process, especially in a time where we're seeing uncertainty happen all around us. God wants to use his people, every single one of us. No one excluded all a part of this plan of rescuing people who are wandering. Now, here's the reality of the person who wanders. It says, let him know that you will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Another thought I had was like, okay, but wait, someone who's a part of the church who believes in Jesus, like their soul's already saved from death and their sins have already been covered. What's this? It sounds like he's talking about a lost person. That's because the only thing you can conclude about someone that's wandering is that they are lost because that is the evidence of someone who is not saved is that they ultimately go after the world. It is totally possible to hear the message like this, the two different soils, hear the message of God, believe in it, acknowledge the truth of it, but not have a personal relationship with Jesus and be deceived your whole life. But listen, the, the, the characteristic though to know that your faith is not genuine is that you actually give up on Jesus. 
is that when storms of life come and the cares of the world come, you stay true to Jesus through everything. That's why Paul said, my time for my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. Now, therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, but not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. This ultimate confidence that still your life has to be tested and proven that the profession you made, however long ago, still remains today and will remain till the day you die. And the conclusion you need to make about someone who maybe had some initial confessions, but ultimately leave Jesus. No wonder following him. Like, yeah, I don't believe that anymore. This is what life is about. And is believing a lie. You can, un, you can know and have to conclude that person's not part of the family. But what do we want to do all the time when someone wanders who we really love? We want to say everything in our mind to convince them that they're good. They're good. They said the prayer. They're good. That's not going to motivate us to do and say what we need to in the moment. So you need to know the urgency and the gravity of the situation. Someone's wandering ready to intervene, you reach out in a spirit of gentleness and love and fervency and care and you pray for this person and you reach out to them with the word of God and you call them to come back knowing that it's not on your shoulders and it's not our responsibility if someone doesn't. We need God to act. But know this, if you're the wanderer, if you're wandering, the trajectory of life that you're on, you're listening right now, You know that the path you're on is leading to a life that's going to give up on Jesus. You cannot conclude that you're going to die, open up your spiritual eyes of eternity, and see Jesus say, well done and good and faithful servant. You cannot speak that deception over your life. You need to hear the call of repentance, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and the judgment of God is coming. And your life is the opportunity to prove you actually believe that and have repented. And the book of James is trying to keep people steadfast to their confession. Oh, church, you see the urgency and the gravity of the situation. You've heard people say, once saved, always saved. I would say this, that is true, but only if you are saved. A lot of times that gets used in a way to keep people feeling okay about the way they're living Jesus says, the Bible says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's a promise from God that the work of salvation that I began in a person is going to come to completion. Romans 8, you see a pattern where whom God foreknew, he also predestined and whom he predestined, he called who he called, he justified who he justified, he sanctified and ultimately glorified. There's no chain broken. All of God's children are totally sealed and kept. So what about the person who seems like they're not? That's because you're seeing something that's true about their identity based off their actions. Someone who wanders, who, yes, they said initially all the right things, but they're leaving. If that's you, you cannot have a guarantee that you know Jesus. And you need brothers and sisters to tell you that, to help wake you up, who are praying over you, and call you back. And if that were any one of us, I would hope you brothers and sisters would do that for me if you saw me wandering. Church, let's be a church that rescues. I want you to leave with this conclusion. God, you'll see it on the screen, God will use you to rescue someone from destruction. And then I also want to make this call. If you know you're on the path to destruction now, you know you have not given your heart to Jesus. You know that you have not surrendered your life to him. You know you're following the world and you're just trying to be socially acceptable among Christians in the church. You know that's you. You don't have to come down and talk to a pastor. You cry out your heart to God. 
You can do it in the quietness, even as you're sitting here listening to me. Say, God, I believe Jesus is the way and the truth and life. I'm, t- I'm tired of fighting. Would you save me and forgive me? And he will, and he'll begin a journey in you. He'll begin to work in you in a way you've never, never experienced. He'll be good, and he'll be kind, and he'll be merciful to you, patient with you, and he'll bring you into the family of God, and he will keep you. He will keep you. Church, let's pray. Father, you know my heart and the seriousness of the situation. Many, many burdens that I feel right now, one being that genuine believers would walk away from a message like this and the enemy attacking their heart, convincing them that they're not saved through fear and instability. Would you help them realize in this moment, according to 1 Peter, that we are being guarded by your power through faith. Being guarded by power through faith. And those who believe, God, would you give them an assurance and a confidence as they can look back on the testing of their faith throughout their life and they have been with you ever since that, and they've abided and they've remained. Would you invigorate them with a confidence and an assurance that only you give? But God, for the one who truly is wandering, would you bring them back? Would you use us, God? Would you make us a church that do the work of an evangelist, people who care, people who are on our knees, dependent on you, not having all the answers, but at least in prayer, asking for opportunities to be able to help people we see wandering, giving us the words to say, the things to do to be able to help. And if there's someone here, someone listening, and someone here that's not part of the family and not saved, Holy Spirit, you would open up their heart and help them understand that through believing in the death of Jesus and his resurrection and that he is Lord and through confessing that with their mouth, they will be saved. And God, we are dependent on you to give the increase as we plant and we water. God, have your way, I pray in Jesus' name.